You're listening to the Today in Manufacturing podcast. Hi, I'm David Manti, and welcome to the 10th episode of the Today in Manufacturing podcast. With me today is Jeff Ranke and Anna Wells. We're editors at Manufacturing.net and Industrial Equipment News, and we each have about 15 years of experience covering the industry. Every week, we take the five most popular stories on our sites and talk about the greater implications they have on the industry going forward. Before we get started, please make sure to give us a like, subscribe to the podcast, or share the podcast. You could also help us out a lot by giving us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use. Finally, if you want to email the podcast, just reach Jeff, Anna, or David at IEN.com with email the podcast in the subject line. We made it to 10, guys. That's a good feeling. How are you doing, Jeff? <laughs> I'm good. Yeah? Anna, feeling good about 10? 10 feels good. Right? Good. It's good. You know? It's worth it worth the effort it's been a lot of fun yeah enjoy doing it all right top story this week was a barn burner america <laughs> is running out of ketchup packets as first reported by the wall street journal restaurants are scrambling to find ketchup packets the horror resources have been depleted as more people order takeout throughout the pandemic even businesses that allow indoor dining have switched from ketchup bottles to packets as a safety measure. Prices are surging, and packet prices are up 13% since January 2020. Kraft Heinz, the biggest name in the ketchup game, has about 70% of the U.S. retail market, is struggling to keep up with demand. The company is adding new product lines to boost ketchup manufacturing capabilities by 25% to more than 12 billion packets annually. Anna, that's a lot of sauce. <laughs> what an unbelievably cruel twist of fate when drive throughs have truly never had more appeal. Absolutely. It's, <laughs> it's such uh, a weird, weird, sad thing. Um, I don't know. We just ran an article this week um, that warns of further potential supply chain disruption in general mm -hmm. um, and how relatively easy it is to break even simple supply chains when the weight of something like this pandemic is applied. Mm -hmm. For example, um, you know, we're still dealing with the fallout of that massive run on electronics that started a year ago when this first kicked off and consumers and businesses dumped a bunch of money into new laptops, tablets, gaming systems, you know, what have you. And then the chip industry is still bearing the scars of that. So I don't know. The point of the article that we recently ran is, is kind of on how long it can actually take for supply chains to recover and when you consider the pandemic has changed food habits, in this case for months and months, then eventually there's going to be a need to catch up. Mm -hmm. Do you see, yep. what, see what I did yep. there? Yep. Yep. Oh, well, okay. Oh, I yeah. just want to make sure that you that yep. you saw it. Okay. Yeah. I could tell that you moved closer to the mic too. Just <laughs> catch up. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, talking about people's eating habits changing, you know, in the article it said, Long John Silvers has had to seek secondary suppliers and the shortage has cost the company an extra half million dollars since the pandemic started. So, I mean, it's mostly because single-serve packets are pricier than bulk containers. But, A, Jeff, who's eating at Long John Silver's? Oh, good question. I Why was going to ask it, too. Why do they need ketchup? And also, like, I, A, can't you just bring your own or have your own at carryout? It's just not a make or break for me with carryout if I get packets. Well, I feel bad because we get a lot of carryout, and I just ditch the packets. So oh, you know, maybe now I need to be like telling people, like, don't give us the ketchup packets. Yeah, something. right. You yeah. don't have fewer. Like the the condiment drawer. Don't keep them. Like full of soy sauce and duck sauce. <laughs> like, no, I thought everyone no. had that. Yeah, right. <laughs> There's like some chopsticks in there. Yeah, yeah. No, but I do have one daughter who basically has like 
fries with her ketchup. So, mm-hmm. I mean, she uses them. Okay. Um, yeah, this is kind of crazy. And it's what's interesting is it's not a run on ketchup. It's a run on the packets. Mm-hmm. Um, early on, you know, well, going back a year or so, when we were talking to a company called Corterra, they do a lot of just high arcing purchasing information analysis. And one of the things that they kept pointing to as a bright spot was packaging supplies was seen as an, an area of increased spending mm. during early stages of the pandemic. A lot of that was related to e-commerce and packaging materials and things like that. But I think we're seeing a little bit of a long-term impact here in terms of <laughs> those packets not being available. Right. Um, you know, and it's, it's interesting when we look at packaging overall because this has been a bright spot. Uh, we were doing some work with Exum Bank who helps manufacturers with their exporting activities, and they even cited, too, packaging equipment or the exporting of the packaging um, both the supplies as well as the machinery mm-hmm. is on a huge uptick right now. A lot of increased demand for that area. Mm-hmm. So to see now we have a shortage because it's based on a material shortage. Uh, it's kind of a, it's kind of an odd dynamic. Is it? Do they think that this is going to be? Is this something that has changed after the pandemic, where there's going to be more of a need for individually packaged items? It feels like it. Yeah. Um, just, you know, the food industry was another area where there was early on sort of a saving grace for U.S. manufacturing because food manufacturing was seeing some upticks in spending and some increased production levels, mm-hmm. even with some of the plant shutdowns, because there was such so many people eating at home, buying more stuff. They were going to grocery stores, getting more stuff there when they went because they didn't want to go back or miss something or, right. or whatever. So... I think it is. I think and you've also thrown into the mix how custom, customized we liked everything. Everything needs to be tailor-made, tailor-packaged to what our unique preferences are. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's having an impact here, even if it is such a commodity item, right. ketchup packets. It's, uh, I just like to joke about how it is just the epitome of a first-world problem, is that <laughs> the ketchup packets have gone. Um, and that's interesting. I just... I envisioned this landscape where people are, you know, at the grocery store, similar to how there was hoarding of toilet paper. Like, I'm going to go to the grocery store later tonight, and it's just going to be barren. Like, the ketchup mm-hmm. will be stripped from the shelves. People are going to be, like, bringing, like, buying ketchup and then, like, putting it in a Ziploc bag to take with them. To <laughs> I'm just envisioning, like, um, I think it was watching, a, watching reruns of uh, My Name is Earl mm. and his ex-wife Joy, like getting the ketchup packets and like squeezing them into the bottle, you oh, know, yeah. keep, the, keep the supply up. They got to go the other way. I guess. So keep those packets. Keep the packets, so yeah. You can refill them. Keep the, um, the corner that you tear off. You know. Put it back on. <laughs> I didn't, I actually didn't know that it was the actual packet that was causing the shortage. Uh, I thought it was, the, which makes a lot more sense because ketchup is very easy to make. Uh, just very time consuming. <laughs> Uh, anyway, don't, hopefully you're not at a loss for your salty sauce. Um, the next story this week, Tyson ensnared in a $244 million ghost cattle scheme. 49 year old Cody Easterday last week pleaded guilty to a $244 million scam to defraud Tyson Foods and another unnamed company. He worked out a deal though. With the companies. Oh, no. He worked out a deal with the companies to purchase and feed more than 200,000 cattle. He was paid up front for the costs of buying and raising the cattle. And after they were slaughtered and sold, Easter Day ranches would repay the advance, including interest, and pocket the profit. The only problem was they didn't exist. And apparently there's even a term for that called ghost cattle. The real thing in this world. He received more than $244 million for the ghost cattle, which he used to cover $200 million in losses from trading cattle futures. The company is now in bankruptcy court 
With more than $400 million in outstanding debts, Easter Day has to repay $244 million in change and restitution, and he faces up to 20 years in prison. Anna, how big is a company that they don't notice 200,000 cattle don't exist? <laughs> I love the term ghost cattle as well. Mm, I just picture them as like cattle from the 1800s. Just like <laughs> come back to haunt current cattle. It's like the perfect name for the next de- Netflix documentary or something. Ghost oh, yeah. The ghost cattle experience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Lives and times at the Easter Day ranches. Well, uh, yeah. To, so to your point, David, like, yeah, Tyson's a huge company. Easter Day Ranches is actually a very large company. It's described as one of the largest farming and ranching families in Washington state. Mm-hmm. So this was a pretty massive scheme. And um, I was looking through... Uh, the Department of Justice statement on mm-hmm. this incident because they were the ones who were investigating this. Right. Um, and the acting assistant attorney general, Nicholas McQuaid, um, said, quote, for years, Cody Easterday perpetrated a fraud scheme on a massive scale, mm-hmm. increasing the cost of producing food for American families. The criminal division's prosecutors are committed to swiftly and thoroughly prosecuting frauds affecting our nation's agricultural and other commodities market whether in the heartland or on wall street. And I think the way they emphasize the critical nature of food related fraud, it sort of reminded me of when in the early part of the coronavirus, president Trump classified meat production workers as essential. And there's a lot of discussion around what was and wasn't considered a critical industry, but the feds in this case seem to be taking this pretty seriously and speaking to ramifications outside of those relating to Tyson. Mm-hmm. Um, and based on this DOJ report, they intend to throw the book at Easter Day. And they're using the criminal division's fraud section, which they say plays a pivotal role in the DOJ's pursuit of anyone defrauding or manipulating commodity markets. So they're mad about this because <laughs> it, yeah. you know, it's the food supply chain. And so that's a big deal. So I'm, I'm interested to see like how this eventually plays out. And the ramifications that it has for not just its victim company, so to speak, Tyson, who's kind of getting all the publicity here. But but, you know, obviously it impacts, as they said, American families and the price of food. Yeah. Tyson and the unnamed company. And the unnamed company one. Yeah. Yeah. I just uh, I was thrown by that. I couldn't figure out who was the mystery company. Uh, Jeff, been an interest, interesting year for Tyson. Yeah, a lot of ups and downs. I mean, just like if you do a search on our site in terms of the things that we've covered, worker safety issues, um, price fixing scheme, then they got a lot of heat just in terms of how they weren't taking care of people during the pandemic and putting the proper precautions in place. Then they tried to sort of shift things around and vaccinate people on site. So just another issue for them to deal with um, yeah. and a difficult one, obviously. I just, I don't understand how this guy thought he was actually going to get away with this. I mean, it's an actual physical product that he had to deliver at some point. Yeah. And especially this many, I mean, 200,000 cows. I mean, you need, you so, need something eventually. So well, was it like a, a pyramid scheme? Like he well, was, that's, that's what I think. Not a pyramid scheme. I think, I think that it's like uh, any gambling addict. I mean, he got caught up in trading futures. He took huge losses. He thought he would take this money, probably get the money back. And then be fine. But to Jeff's point, like he had to deliver meat to the company. So he was he was paying off just huge amounts of debt. Mm -hmm. I mean, the company is bankrupt now. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's just the logic, and I I get where you're going. Yeah. It's just something's missing. It was it was also (laughs) over four years. So it started in 2016. So I mean, maybe he just thought like we'll get we'll get things back in order, and just the cows are going to come in a little light. You know, I I don't know. I I don't know what happens when you start thinking this is going to work out. And, you know, the other thing I kind of, you know, you bring up that like mystery company or whatever, if I had to guess, and this is a total 
just throwing it out there, but being involved in the food industry for, for 10 years, it's probably a food service company. So when you look at a food service company, it's not a name we're going to recognize, but it's somebody who has their hands in a lot of different food distribution markets, one of which could very well be food service for government institutions, whether it's schools, Mm. prisons, uh, wherever, army, uh, military. So if you get them riled up, Mm -hmm. yeah, this could be a big issue and make uh, the DOJ get pretty sensitive about it. Then they were more likely the ones that caught it. (laughs) Potentially. Yeah. Uh, the third most popular story this week uh, was about a crew evacuated as a cargo ship was at risk of sinking. A Dutch cargo ship, the Eemslift Endrika, was evacuated last week and was in danger of capsizing in heavy seas. Norwegian authorities evacuated the ship's 12 crew members by helicopter after they jumped into the sea. The ship tried, issued a distress call late Monday after the engine lost power. They tried to stabilize the vessel so it wouldn't sink or crash into the shore, but it was getting pummeled by 50-foot-high waves and strong winds. The vessel had substantial quantities of diesel and fuel in its tanks, which could have caused an environmental disaster. On Thursday, a salvage operation finally got the cargo ship under control and towed it to port. Anna, this could have been really bad. Yeah. And if the thought of being trapped for days in the Suez Canal didn't give you anxiety, the 49-foot waves crashing against this ship after it lost power 80 miles offshore certainly would. (laughs) As you're, like, floating next to it? Oh, my God. It's crazy. And the pictures of it, too, where it's, like, you know, it's, like, leaned over and it's just scary stuff. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. I think one of the big concerns with a ship like this that was essentially abandoned initially was the amount of fuel on board, as you mentioned, Mm -hmm. and what that would mean if the ship sank. Um, Before salvage crews were able to get the ship under control Thursday, Norway's government was actually preparing for an oil spill. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's important to consider how much climate change may be impacting weather patterns and result in some more unusual and sudden environments for ships that spend a long time at sea, you know? Yeah. I mean, we might see more of this. Uh, And, you know, I know a big part of this was that the ship lost power, of course, but the rescue efforts were certainly impeded by the weather conditions, which were being described as extreme. So I wonder if a high profile scare like this will maybe help push some towards the, some of the newer technology that's out there on the horizon. There's been a lot of development being done with hydrogen, wind, solar powered um, vessels. Mm -hmm. And I think as this technology starts to scale up, it seems to me that it solves more than one problem. Like instead of waiting for this to happen again and then preparing for an oil spill, maybe we can get ahead of that and prepare instead by not carrying enough fuel to burn through 40 tons a day, which is the amount a large cargo ship often requires. Um, So I don't know, you know, maybe it sends a message to the industry. Like there's been a lot done in the last 10 years in terms of development Mm -hmm. because it's such a dirty industry. Um, And maybe this kind of is a good reminder of, hey, there's a lot of other stuff out there that maybe we could. It's maybe not as risky from an environmental standpoint. Well, if this story didn't send a message, you certainly did. That's my message. <laughs> Take it or leave it. <laughs> uh, uh, Jeff, one thing that I noticed uh, in the photos and the videos was that it was a giant ship carrying giant ships. Pretty ironic, right? Yeah. Like, our boat isn't big enough to get there on its own, so we're going to put our boat on another boat, and then that boat runs into issues. Yeah, definitely mm-hmm. some irony there. Can you even fathom a 50-foot wave? No, I actually, I went outside our building 
to try and like just put it in perspective and just got scared and went back inside. Yeah, I know. It makes me want to puke, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Um, Unreal. I think what we're also going to maybe see coming out of this is 12, there's only 12 individuals manning this entire boat. This is a large boat, big Mm -hmm. operation. You just wonder right now with all of the increased pressures on shipping, the increased pressure to make up for business loss during the pandemic, if some of these folks aren't running a little bit lean, maybe not as safely as they should be, or maybe not to the standards that they would have pre-pandemic. And it's maybe leading to not having as much many not having as many eyes on some of the stuff that's coming up that would have allowed them to potentially steer around maneuver mm-hmm. differently or have more just more hands on deck to handle these types of emergencies. Or maybe to Anna's point, the uh, the answer is no hands on deck. You know, it'll be an autonomous ship of ships. Mm-hmm. Um, I did say that uh, see that one of the boats actually fell off, but it was recovered. And I mean, we do you talk about supply chain and shipping problems, but like. I do feel not as bad if someone's yacht got a little ding. <laughs> we lost some cargo. The yeah. good news is it was a boat. Yeah. So it just went into the water. But right. at the same time, people are making those boats. Oh, people yeah, People are yeah, shipping yeah. those boats. I, under, I get your point. I yeah. understand. But like, um, I don't know. No, it's, it is, uh, it's, definitely a, it's definitely a problem. I mean, um, it's not the same as if a bunch of vaccine fell off and was lost in the bottom of the ocean. I would agree with that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people make those vaccines. No, I'm just The second most popular story this week, a factory worker was arrested after a active shooter prank. Well, April 1st marked the first April Fool's Day abomination. Oh, marked the latest April Fool's Day abomination. And while we covered the laughable Volkswagen fiasco and cauliflower peeps last week, things could have been much more harrowing in Ohio. A 57-year-old female employee at the Navistar Trucking and Van Assembly Factory in Springfield texted her sister and said an active shooter was at the plant. She told her sister that there was a guy who was fired the previous day and he came in with a gun. She said that they were barricaded in an office with the lights off. Her sister called 911, which led to a large police response. Police arrived at the plant within two minutes of the call and immediately began searching the facility for an active shooter before they found out that it was an April Fool's joke. The worker was arrested for inciting panic. The sheriff's office major said, quote, she put a lot of people in danger today over a stupid joke. Anna, who does that to their sister? So I googled the phrase active shooter prank to see if I could find out if anything had been updated since we ran this story at the beginning of the week. Mm Mm-hmm. And much to my dismay and horror, this is not the first time someone has pulled this kind of stunt, which absolutely destroys my faith in humanity. Um, Still had some. (laughs) Yeah, it it comes in waves, I guess. I don't know. Comes and goes. Yeah. (laughs) So in 2018, a YouTuber was arrested after he told guests at a Disney resort in Florida there was an active shooter on the premises so that he could record their reactions and post them to YouTube. That happened. Um, And in 2020, a group walked into a Bucks County, Pennsylvania Walmart and falsely shouted there was an active shooter in the store and told everyone to get on the ground and then laughed and left the store. But this woman at Navistar's actions were probably most disturbing since, as you mentioned, she texted her sister and also included a weird amount of made up detail, like Mm -hmm. the fact that she was like hiding in a closet or something like like just, I, who, if you, who, who are you? Yeah. You, and also, I mean, we all have siblings. Like if you send the text to screw with your sibling, it's like maybe a 10 second turnaround, you know, where it's just like, ah, oh, man, gotcha. You know, or uh, I mean, other pranks that I got hit with this week in terms of uh, uh, one good friend uh, faking an injury, whatever. 
I'm over it. What? Um, Why? <laughs> um, Jeff, Nolan Smith on the site said, very succinctly, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. And I just really thought that put this entire story in perspective. Yeah, there were a couple of good reader comments. Mm-hmm. I think they say it all. Check those out. I don't need to uh, reiterate them. Just different um, degrees of stupidity actually being leveled. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't... First of all, the one thing we should make... Um, reference to is law enforcement was there within two minutes mm-hmm. in responding to mm-hmm. this in terms of getting the the phone call not from the texter but from the recipient of the text that's impressive i mean yeah. they were on there and they were out there looking and responding so kudos to them but i see what you guys were just talking about what's what's the end game here mm-hmm. i mean this isn't like like the volkswagen thing that didn't hurt anybody yeah like mm-hmm. what was what was the actual thought process and like anna was saying there's a lot of details that went into yeah. this prank I mean, what were you going to accomplish? What was what's the joke here? I think the joke was I'm going to screw with my sister, and then she like saw a cookie and got distracted and forgot to follow up. I don't know. I I know that that's. I mean, uh, I don't understand. It's hard to apply any sort of common sense when there just is none in a situation. Well, I'm I'm wondering. I mean, this woman should lose her job. Well, so she was suspended. I saw that in another report that she was suspended. Obviously, she was also arrested. Right. Um, but it didn't say at that time whether or not that, that she was terminated. I hope that, that that transpires. But if not, like, how do you come back to work after that? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, there's OSHA violations for everything. This is just as dangerous as some of the other things that we've talked about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. And uh, I don't know how you come back from that. And Anna, did in the other reports that you saw, did it say anything about how long it, or if they did receive like a prison sentence? Uh, she was arrested, but I don't, you know. I oh, I didn't know about the other active like shooters, oh, like at Walmart. Oh, the mentioned. ones. Yeah. So the one at the Walmart, I don't think they, I don't know if they caught the people. Oh, okay. Um, and the one in yeah in 2018, I that's a good question. I don't know. His name's Dylan Birch, and he said he was very drunk. So um, we could look it up, but. <laughs> well, uh, the other, the other point in this was that she was 57 years old. And uh, I just, you know, after a lifetime of being scolded by my elders, it's just like, you should have known better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, well, let's keep the, let's keep the <laughs> pranks. Let's keep the pranks easier. You yeah, know, like, let's, get, let's keep Let's at least do something funny. Yeah, I mean, lighthearted. Geez. You know, let's maybe top out at like lighting the shoelaces on fire or something. The Google Smell-O-Vision, you know? Yeah. Remember that one? I don't. No. That was a... Oh, yeah. where the logo smelled? Yeah, you're supposed to be able to like... New technology from Google <laughs> rolled out on April 1st. That was a while ago. Right. But. It's meant to be lighthearted. Like, yeah. let's keep the active shooters and fake pregnancies yeah. to a minimum. My six-year-old ran out on April Fool's Day and said that she lost her bear. And then she pulled the bear out from behind her back. And then she said April Fool's Day. And that's how it works. That's hilarious. That, that is the best <laughs> one I've heard. Yeah. Yeah. I tried to uh, describe it to my two-year-old and nothing really stuck. I just thought I was being mean (laughs) regarding jelly beans. Our top story on the site this week, Genesis X, the hottest concept car in a decade. Genesis is a division of Hyundai headquartered in Fountain Valley, California, and they recently came out with what Jalopnik called the hottest concept car in a decade. The Genesis X EV is pretty, but we don't really know that much about it. The company hasn't revealed any technical specs, nothing on range or power. And what's interesting is that Genesis is using upcycled materials, including excess leather scraps, to stitch together certain features like seat belts and steering wheel covers. 
The gear selector is also this cool concept they call a crystal sphere, and it is pretty as well. It's been called, quote, unbelievably gorgeous and pretty swish, which confuses me and angers me all at the same time. But Anna, shouldn't we kind of pump the brakes until we see a little bit more than like a banging rendering? Swish. Swish. Did you just say banging? Oh, yeah. No. He did. Oh. It's not he doesn't swish, like swish, but he'll say I like, banging. I like, the, I like the ketchup analogy better. <laughs> Come on. Hey, uh, winning. see a little more than this snacking rendering, mm. Anna? <laughs> wow. I'll get one. One will hit. One will land. <laughs> this is why we don't ask David how he's doing at the beginning of the podcast. Uh, uh. Yeah, so... It's it's cool. I mean, I like the it's a beautiful looking car. I get why people are getting really excited. And I know that like J- Jalopnik made the point that because this is a concept car, like even if they had technical specs to share that they'd all change anyway mm-hmm. by the time this thing hit production if it ever did. So maybe the magic is more in building a buzz for Genesis and their design chops. But I saw a follow-up this week in Autoblog where they basically said the internet's reaction to the design may have been taken by Genesis as a sort of like build it ASAP mandate. Mm. So Genesis apparently has used its social media to sort of casually ask fans if they'd be willing to put a $1,000 deposit down on the X Mm. with the hashtag just asking, (laughs) (laughs) which is to me where it gets a little crazy, like personally, I need to know more, especially when EVs are kind of on the cusp of like big battery range enhancements. I mean, there's a lot that's going to happen in the next two years. So it's kind of important to detail that, like, you know, what are we working with here? But, um, but, um, you know, Autobog also smartly pointed out that like Tesla has a history of taking orders and deposits for vehicles that they have not made yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's really worked out kind of fine for them. So I don't know, maybe it will work. No, I see this a lot because we cover a lot of concept vehicles and there's always that uh, deposit that you put down. But I'm the same way. I'm so risk averse. I just wonder what kind of like early adopter personality has that. And do they have like multiples out there? Like, yeah, I got a grand in Genesis. I got a grand on a Tesla. I got a grand on an e-bike. One of them's got a panel. See what gets done first and then, yeah. Right. I mean, there's different degrees of gearhead, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, and and this is, there's a couple of different, a couple of interesting things I think about Genesis overall that's helping to fuel some of this interest. But did you guys look at the logo for Genesis? And I haven't noticed this before. It looks, How uh, eerily similar. Yeah. Yeah. It is to Bentley. Mm-hmm. That's really no. interesting. I actually, no, I, uh, because that's, yeah, that first, like that yeah. comes driving in. Um, no, I, I noticed that too right away. So very interesting. But I think one of the reasons as a concept car, this is getting so much attention is number one, it's realistic. We see a lot of prototypes that are kind of like these supercars, right? And they're talking about theoretical horsepower and and everything else. It's just so far out there. And then they're looking at, you know, ridiculous price tags as well. Whereas Genesis sort of has a boutique automaker feel to it, even though it's backed by Hyundai, obviously a, a major auto, uh, major auto, major player in the auto manufacturing uh, scene. But basically they have, if you include the X, they've got six vehicles. Mm-hmm. Four of them are sedans. That's also unique. So we're looking at a realistic car, okay? Yeah. Not an SUV, not something else that's beyond our understanding, but a, a high house horsepower sedan. So I think it's it's a prototype that's realistic that we can relate to. And if you look on Genesis's website, again, one of the things that they are not shy about um, promoting or drawing out attention to at their vehicles is all of them are over 300 horsepower, which is unique. 
and they don't have great gas mileage. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's basically they're saying this is a cool car. Yeah. Okay? This is what you've got, and that is a departure. I mean, we talked about uh, a couple months ago about Dodge really shying away from the Hellcat. <clears throat> We've talked about the other automakers getting out of the sedan business and going towards SUVs and electrics. So although they're, the X is an electric, again, I think it's got a lot of those other things where a gearhead can be like, it's a cool car that can go fast. Yeah. And um, I think that's why it's getting a little bit more interest and a little bit more attention than maybe some of the other prototypes that have been, uh, been thrown out there. I did really like the lights, the like two-line lights. It's a cool-looking car, to, to Anna's point. It, yeah, absolutely. The uh, price point's going to be interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, one of our regular commenters, The Destroyer, says that he has driven and nearly purchased a Genesis 3.8 RT Coupe, and he says he would almost definitely definitely buy a Genesis over a BMW or Mercedes. To that point, I just said, but you didn't. He said, almost. But the other thing, I think this is potentially, if they go forward and the X comes to fruition, this is a viable Tesla-type competitor oh, because absolutely. of the price point, the whole approach that they're taking. It's not something you just go get anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, Do we know so the price point? We don't of the X, no. It does resemble a Tesla from the back, too. Like uh, how it, uh, it has that like long front, short back. It's just, it's the, it's the vibe, too. Like if you go to their website and you can customize your own vehicle, and you can do that with a lot of them. That's, that's not that unique, but it just, I don't know, it's, it's different. It, mm-hmm. is, it has a unique feel to it. I think they've done a nice job. All right. Moving on to our next segment, in case you missed it. Uh, my story this week is about a supersonic jet that can carry 12 passengers at 1,000 miles per hour. But there's a little bit more to it than that, because last week, Arion outlined a plan for the AS-3 supersonic jet, which can carry 50 passengers at four times the speed of sound, which would cut the 12-hour trip from L.A. to Tokyo down to just three hours. It would also feature a range of 7,000 nautical miles, which would reportedly be able to cover all but the longest current nonstop flights. Now, back to the previous specs, that is for the previously announced AS-2, which is backed by Boeing, which would carry a dozen passengers, 1,000 miles per hour, or Mach 1.4. The company is building a $300 million campus in Florida to begin making the jet, and really the prospect of anything having me on a plane for less time is okay by me. I don't know. What do you think, Jeff? Would you ride in a supersonic jet? In a heartbeat. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Agreed. Uh, it sounds like you know it's, what's going to be interesting here is yeah they've always had the speed thing down they can yeah. they can do that but as far as making it um, cost effective yeah, and getting enough point. people on board so they can actually run more frequent um, more frequent uh, connections that would be the interesting part but this is something we're seeing more of too more companies um, startups in particular looking at this as sort of a niche way to uh, differentiate themselves from other airlines, other offerings out there, gets them away from the 737 MAX conversation <laughs> yeah. that uh, a lot yeah. of folks are trying to avoid right now. So, yeah, really interesting, and best best luck to them. Right. Anna, would you pay a premium to cut down on time in the air? I think I would um, mm-hmm. for certain, you know. I mean, it's not often that I'm traveling overseas, but um, I don't love sitting on that jet and or jet and, like, Trying to like stave off a blood clot for ten hours, right? So Keep I'd, those feet kicking. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, it's. Uh, I guess I would be more likely to investigate something like this than ever pay for that upgrade to first class. Hmm. Um. Boy, that's a tough one. Yeah. I don't know. Probably. Probably. Yeah. I'd yeah. agree. I mean, I'm also going to assume that whatever you pay for this, booze has got to be included. <laughs> <laughs> You're, 
free booze. <laughs> oh, well, absolutely. Well, I mean, cut like, down. they don't need as many movies, right? Yeah, so, right. They're going to save on entertainment costs. There you go. Uh, Anna, what's your, in case you missed it this week? Um, I thought I'd come in at the end here and like uh, save this whole podcast because we almost got through an entire one without talking about Elon, Elon Musk. So, mm, Well, thank you. Nice thank try. You. We did it. We're coming not. in at about 44. <laughs> <laughs> not today. We are not leaving here without covering this. Um, no, I, I, I picked a story about um, a piece of debris that fell from the sky and landed in eastern Washington state. Something described as burning rocket debris that was later confirmed to be a nearly intact helium storage vessel from a SpaceX jet. Whoa. I know. So we've been talking like on previous podcasts about uh, these like wild test launches and like explosions and things. And um, I saw this week that the Starship SN15 is scheduled to test next week. Oh, great. So get ready for SpaceX fifth high altitude test. But um, they set up this time a debris hotline. Um, that it, <laughs> yeah, <Sorry>. to encourage <laughs> anyone within the local area to report any findings of the rocket. So this is something the company did one other time in 2015. But it's the first time a hotline has been issued for Cameron County, where residents of Boca Chica Village, Texas, are forced to evacuate ahead of each test flight. Did you know that? I didn't know that. <laughs> That is incredible. Yeah. I mean, and the fact that there's a debris hotline. I mean, actually, that plays in really well to the questions we had last week as to who picks it up. Yeah. Really, they're, you know, they want you to come together as a community to pick up their trash. Yeah, they just call the hotline and then some guy just like gets in his pickup truck and dons a hazmat suit and then comes over and picks up a fully intact helium storage vessel that left like a four inch dent in the ground in this person's farm. Yeah. Like, uh. That's incredible. Actually, that was the first thing that jumped out to me, too, was like how deep it was into the ground and also that it's in Washington. (laughs) Right. Right. I mean, uh, I had to like when you said it twice, I'm like, no, she really said Washington State. And I think it was Texas. Um, That's incredible. And also, I got to check eBay. This stuff has to be out there. Oh, like rocket debris? Yeah. You know, Uh, like I don't know. If, I mean, if you get a piece that actually has the SpaceX logo on it, you get a premium for it. All right. Let me all careful. You keep going. I'm going to Google it. Right <laughs> see what I can find. Um, Jeff, this is kind of cool. And also scary that such a large piece of debris fell into the farm. Yeah. I don't know if I'd say cool. This one yeah. still is kind of a what the, you and know. Well, everyone lives. So then it can be cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, we did. That's another thing. We've made it through, you know, um, not too much. Uh, Negative uh, press in this uh, negative stories in this episode, so mm-hmm. that is a good thing. Yeah, it's crazy it got that far though. Yeah, I, I guess can't I find don't... any rocket debris for sale. Sorry, guys. Oh man, I'll have to check out the dark net. I hear that's a thing. <laughs> I could get you like a little rocket ship lamp that you could put by your bed. That'll suffice, David. That will suffice. I'll just say it was made from uh, April Fools. Yeah. From an actual piece of uh, spaceship. Uh, Jeff, what's your in case you missed it this week? So I thought it was kind of um, not so much. It's, it's great. GM, my story is GM building the electric Silverado and Hummer at their factory zero plant in, just outside Detroit. Now, it's a pretty mundane story when you look at just basically it's new production, which is great. Mm-hmm. Always positive thing. They're looking at the uh, electric Silverado, which is also very unique. What a huge uh, seller for, for GM, obviously, and for Chevrolet. But when are, what is the deal with Hummer? That's the part that caught me. Like, why is this brand just mm-hmm. not being allowed to die? 
This is like this is going on like Indian motorcycles. How many people have bought Indian over the years and tried to make it work and tried to make it work and it just doesn't? Mm-hmm. And GM just is not letting this one go. I don't get the appeal of the Hummer. We've tried yeah. this before. Yeah. Why? I actually I think it's a very crafty marketing ploy because they took the like most legendary gas guzzler that if you asked anyone what's the most inefficient vehicle, sure. they would say Hummer. And they rebooted the brand to be an EV. I mean, and I think that is intriguing. I think that the design of the car is also very cool. But you got that hundred grand price tag on her. So we've tried this though. Like yeah. I don't think the same the same individual who was willing to buy that before is all that concerned about it being electric versus gas. Yeah. Oh, I just, no. I don't. I, I guess I agree with you. Like, uh, my takeaway from this story was actually how so many companies kind of provide lip service when it comes to EVs, where it seems like GM has made just some incredible investments in it and is changing production lines. You know, um, so while it may, while the Hummer might just be grabbing headlines for it, like part of the story was also that they're uh, planning an electric Silverado. Right. And that's that's pretty cool. And I want to get. They can sell those. I mean, <laughs> I mean maybe the expectation for Hummer EV just isn't that high. Maybe they're going to like make one and see what happens. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. I just it seems like a waste of resources. It's like make. a McLaren, they're going to make 10 of them <laughs> and then <laughs> But I mean, but Anna, which would you rather drive um be in? You know, these three that we're talking about here. We got something on SpaceX, you know, Factory Zero or Supersonic Jet. We you've talked about how much you don't want to like leave the earth at all i'm gonna stay on the earth yeah Yeah. so of these you would take the hummer over either the supersonic jet or the an electric hummer yeah yeah a lot of room for the family in there why not yeah i mean it's electric with like a stepladder and yeah (laughs) it'd just be like riding around in a big electric square and just filling that thing with um goldfish crackers it doesn't matter (laughs) what i'm in i wonder how long it's gonna take to charge that though how long it takes. Well, there's, they're making a lot of progress with those um, level, is it level three chargers that are like the quick charge? Yeah, and the Altium um, batteries. So, you know, I, I think we're going to see a lot of changes in the next couple of years in terms of like what, I don't know, market readiness, I hope, but also like the technology that kind of quashes some of those infrastructure fears, um, these quick charging stations, home chargers, um, chargers that you can carry in the trunk of your car, all that stuff's in development. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It might be more viable soon. Yeah. Looks like about an hour and a half. Hour and a half or so. To charge, charge it. I don't know. It's, again, of all the exotic cars that Rewind up talking about, a Hummer's definitely not going to be in my garage. But one's going to pass me and I'm going to be like, cool. <laughs> <laughs> that guy did it. He did it. Um, and then I'll like, like three years later, I'll sit at the same like used car lot and I'll be like, oh, he didn't make it <laughs> <laughs> with the tag. Um, moving on to final thoughts. Uh, Anna, what's your final thought this week? You got one for us? Um, I just thought I would share a highlight of my week. Um, so my husband ripped out our bathtub last week mm. and our this kids the took the giant box uh, uh, for the new bathtub and made a rocket ship out of it. Awesome. And I was transported right back to my childhood. And um, I don't know, like, I feel like you never lose that feeling when you see a giant box that's like, we can't throw that away. It's too good. Yeah. That immediately says that's a fort. not That's a, box. a fort. Exactly. Like a bathtub box is a high value box and kids are born inherently knowing that. So 
Mm-hmm. So that's, um, we've had to pull it out of the rain twice. It might be, I don't know how long this box is going to live in my house, but I'm still into it. It's so adorable. We, yeah, we had a little Tykes box that stuck around for six to eight months and it was <laughs> a car, a train, and then a plane. Yeah, absolutely. Boxes are huge. I mean, yeah. We had one, it was for a, um, a bathroom vanity and they turned it into a like stage for like puppets and stuff. Oh, um, nice. That, that one hung around for a long time. Right. Where you just sit back and you're like, I am impressed and you were tidy about it. This is amazing. <laughs> Except sometimes the shows got a little long. <laughs> they put this like little piece of red construction paper on one end that's the fire at the bottom of the oh, man. ship. That's so good. Well, uh, the, the box is in like the Toy Hall of Fame, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, it is. Oh, yeah. that it makes recently sense. Inducted. Yeah. yeah. Um, Jeff, what was the five-act play on? Man, it was all over the place, and there was a lot of choreography and singing yeah. that was sort of on the spot correction. You know, like yeah, it was it was fan, it was great. You know, wow. <laughs> I can't really say there was a distinct plot. You know, yeah. and, and stuff. It was just more actions and movement. But <laughs> they were into it. Very good. So it, was more, it kept them distracted for a couple hours and was, no fighting. It was, so. it was a lyrical performance. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, three girls. I mean, it's. As long as, as long as there's no screaming or anything, you just go with it. It's, yeah. it's all good. Uh, what are your final thoughts this week? How awesome was it playing softball? This is amazing. I'm so sore right now. <laughs> <laughs> that was the highlight for a while here, just being able to get out and, and do that and getting people vaccinated. I've, we've got our, I've got my first shot this week. I think you do as well. So Yeah. Um, yeah. No, uh, a small return to normalcy. Uh, you know, some people recovering from the vaccines and uh, – I'm looking forward to the next next uh, softball next Wednesday, and I'm hoping I can feel my left side by then because uh, it has been two years since I put that much torque on the body, and she's not bouncing back as quick. <laughs> uh, another late-night ice bath. Um, well, my final thought as usual is please make sure to like, subscribe, and share the podcast. And to email the podcast, you can reach any of us at Jeff, Anna, or David at IEN.com with email the podcast in the subject line. You can also subscribe to our newsletter. Thank you for all the positive feedback. And I guess another final thought is, hey, 10th episode's in the bag. We did it. We got 10. Yeah, to many more. (laughs) For Jeff and Anna, I'm David Manti, and this is the Today in Manufacturing podcast. See you next week. Thank you for listening to the Today in Manufacturing podcast.